Hey, good to see everybody. Would you stand to your feet? Sing this hymn together. Let's sing as good as they're playing, okay? Here we go. I am a weak, but thou art strong.
for the fellowship band. Sing the chorus. And just a closer walk with thee. Somebody say amen. Let's sing it as well with my soul. Let's go straight to that one. Love this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sing it together, church. When peace like a river attendeth my way,
and all God's people said amen. Amen. Great singing tonight. You may be seated. Donna's going to come sing before the message. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with cares, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living
tell amen. Thank you, Donna. Open your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 20. In the book of Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> it's going to be uh, somewhat of a different service tonight, unlike any service that uh, I have ever led here at Fellowship Baptist Church in the 18 years that uh, I served as pastor, and uh, you'll understand all of that at uh, toward the close of the service tonight. But I do want to cover some of our verses in the book of Acts. We have been studying the book of Acts for a long, a long time. Uh, kind of like we've been studying the Gospel of John on Sunday morning for a long time. Um, I'm not even sure Kevin was born when we started our study in the book of John. And he's uh, eight years old now. Um, I'm kidding, he was born. But it has been a long time. Um, and it's been a long time in the book of Acts. We are uh, just in chapter 20. This is message 46. And um, there are a number of chapters left. Um, in our study, and I want to begin reading tonight in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. I want to read down through verse 24. And if you have your place in Acts 20, say amen. amen. All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. That is Paul, he sent to Ephesus. And he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in the weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Testifying, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save, or he's saying, this is, this is the thing I do know, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What we have in this 20th chapter of Acts is the final leg of Paul's third official missionary journey. After we finish here, 
It's going to be about his journey to Rome. Here he is in Ephesus, and notice, if you will, he calls for the elders. In the scriptures, you will find three terms. You'll find, excuse me, the term elder, as we see it here. You'll find the term bishop, and you'll find the term pastor. And all three of those terms speak of the same office, but they all three speak of a different function of that same office. For example, the the word elder speaks of the pastor's, the leader's maturity, not necessarily his age, but his spiritual maturity, his growth in the Lord. And then the word bishop speaks of the oversight that he is to have and to exercise over the flock. And then you have pastor. That's the term that we most commonly use today. All three of those terms really mean pastor, spiritual leader. But this word pastor speaks of of his role as as a shepherd and his responsibility for the development of the lives of others. As these men gather with the apostle, he begins to reflect back on the first time that he came to them. And he asked them to go back to that time with him in their minds. And as they're looking back to those early days, Paul said this, he said, You men know full well what kind of life that I have lived before you at all times. Now listen, Paul is not tooting his own horn, so to speak. He's simply challenging these church leaders to continue to live out his example. And even though he will not be there among them, he challenges them to live their lives in a way that could be used to impact others for Christ in the same way that God used Paul's life to impact them. And so what I want to do for just a few minutes tonight, I want to point out three characteristics of Paul's life as a leader among the Ephesians. And the first one is this, he served. Paul, as a leader, was a servant. Look again in verses 18 and 19, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all times. Look at verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Paul viewed himself as a servant. As a church leader, Paul considered himself to be a servant. As a matter of fact, as we 
move along in our study and we get to chapter 27, he's going to say this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. The book of Romans begins with these words. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, as an elder, a bishop, as a leader, Paul did not view himself as some kind of celebrity, but as a servant. The Greek word here is really a reference to being a bond slave. Note also that Paul served humbly. He served with humility. Again, Paul wasn't some kind of celebrity preacher or evangelist seeking to lift up his name and further his own cause. No, no, Paul was a humble servant who was comfortable serving in the shadows. Just tonight, as I was in my office preparing for the service tonight, one of our men knocked on the door and and he said, Pastor, can I visit with you just a few minutes? And, and we visited about ministry and his desire to get involved in ministry. And he made a statement to me. He said, Pastor, even if it's in the shadows, that's fine with me. And let me tell you something. As a pastor, you cherish people that will come to you and say, Pastor, I don't have to be up front. I'll just serve in the shadows somewhere. I just want to serve. And it doesn't really matter if it's in the church world or in the corporate world or where it is. Anytime somebody will come to you and say, listen, I just want to serve. I want to do what I can. I don't need any attention. I don't need you to call out my name. I don't need any awards. I just want to serve. Listen, those are the kind of people that make this world work. Paul was a servant. Paul wasn't into drawing men to himself. He was always about showing them Jesus. If we want to be someone who's able to impact the lives of others, then our life and ministry can't be for show. We can't be living for what we can get, but rather for what we can give. It can't be about what others can do for us. Listen, our lives as believers ought to be about this. What can I do for others? Paul goes on to mention how he served with tears. I read once and said, if you're too big for tears, you're too small for leadership. I believe leaders ought to have a heart. They ought to have some compassion. They, they ought to be able to understand people. And Paul understood those to whom he ministered. And he didn't just serve with tears. He said he served with many tears. He says it again in verse 31. And we'll get to these verses in the next message. But he said, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So, well, Pastor, what, what made Paul weep? Well, I think there are a number of things. If you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, you know that he wept over those without Christ. In Romans 9, he talked about how he would gladly be separated from Christ if it meant that non-believing lost Jews would be saved. 
Paul said, I would, I would rather myself be accursed from Christ if it meant that my fellow Jews could spend eternity with the Lord. Paul wept over wayward believers and his ministry to the church at Corinth and, and his letters that he wrote there. In one of his letters, the second letter that he wrote, he said this, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I write unto you with many tears. If you know the story of the church at Corinth, there was, a, there was sin there and there was waywardness there. And though Paul could not be there, he got word of that and, and it broke his heart. Friends, what this, what's this all about? It's really about Paul's genuine concern for others. Paul had a heart for people. Listen, if you and I are going to impact others for Christ, then we have to have hearts that are genuinely concerned for them. Not just pseudo-concern, not just make-believe concern. It's got to be concern that is real. And genuine. And not just for those who are lost without Christ. And not just those who are walking away from the Lord. But for those who are hurting as well. And then note, Paul said that he had served the Lord in spite of the various temptations or trials that had come his way. Church, listen, if there was ever a time that we have the opportunity as believers to shine the light of Jesus and point others to him, it's during the dark times of our own lives. We talked this morning about Mary suffering at the tomb of Jesus. We talked about how that suffering is, it's just our lot in life. We live in a broken world, and we live in a, in a hurting world, in a world that is so messed up in so many ways, and sorrow is just a part of the lives that we live, and grief is something that we all have to deal with, but again, there's not a more effective time for us to tell others by our lives that Jesus lives than when we're in those moments of darkness. Many of you have heard the name. I've used many uh, many quotes from Joni Erickson Tata. She has lived a number of years now as a quadriplegic following a diving accident. And she said this about the importance of being a witness of letting your light shine during times of trial. Listen to what she said. The way you and I handle our big and little trials makes the world pause in its frantic, headlong pursuits. Our godly response to those obstacles and perplexities in our lives literally kicks the psychological crutches right out from under the skeptic. The unbeliever can no longer refuse to face the reality of our faith. If anyone knew what it was to live with trials, it was Paul. 
We're 20 chapters in to the book of Acts, and it seems like at every turn throughout this book, there was some new trial, some new form of persecution, some new form of tribulation that was awaiting him, yet he could look the Ephesian elders in the eyes and say, you guys know how I live my life during those times. If you want to be someone whose life impacts others, then you've got to be able to live right in the good times and in the bad times. Listen, people understand suffering, and they understand the heartache and the heartbreak that comes with things like loss. They understand tears. They understand grief. But let us not grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in the Lord who, listen, who is always good. Even when life isn't. Paul set a good example. Even in the difficult times of his life. And he never stopped serving God. And his example pointed others to Jesus. Another characteristic of a life that impacts others, notice Paul shared. Let's look at it again, verses 20 and 21. He said, and he said you know how I lived even in the difficult times of my life? In verse 20, and how I kept back nothing which was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul did not keep back means that he didn't shrink back or he didn't turn away from the responsibility of telling others about Jesus. He wasn't silent. He did not withhold anything. You, you read it. He didn't withhold anything that was profitable, meaning anything that was good or anything that was advantageous. Wherever he was, Paul talked about Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but on the one hand, I'm thinking back now to just a couple of weeks ago when our Teenagers returned from their missions trip. If you were here that night, you, you saw the presentation and you heard the testimonies. And I, I don't know about you, but on the one hand, I was impressed by what I saw on the part of our young people. As, as in the, the pictures that we saw, they, they were sitting with with other young people in the park, and they were sitting with adults in the park, and they were standing on the front porches of people in the Bahamas, and they had their Bibles open, and they were talking to them about Jesus. And so on the one hand, I was thrilled at that, to see our young people opening the Word of God and sharing the gospel with adults and telling them how they can know that Jesus Christ lives and can be in their hearts. On the one hand, that thrilled me. 
But on the other hand, it convicted me. Now, come on now. It convicted me. Because I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader. And here our young people are going and talking to people they don't even know about Jesus Christ. (laughs) And to a degree, that really shamed me. Because I don't do that like I should. So young people, thank you for challenging your pastor to do more to share the gospel with with other people. And notice what the message was, verse 21. Notice what the message was that Paul shared with the lost. He said, you need to turn away from, that's the first part of repentance. He talked about repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a twofold part of repentance which is not something that we hear preached from a lot of pulpits around this nation today. But it's still part of the Word of God. And Paul talked about repentance, which involves this. You've got to turn away from, which is the first part of repentance. You've got to turn away from whatever you're trusting in for your eternal life that is not Jesus Christ. You turn away from that, And then you turn to, that's the second part of repentance, to the truth, which is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The message of salvation certainly involves coming to Jesus, and we hear a lot about that, even from this pulpit. We invite people all the time to come to Christ, and that is part of repentance, but listen, it also involves leaving behind your old life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, Paul said, are become new. A couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on the revival at Ephesus, I made this point from the book of of 2 Thessalonians where Paul was talking about them and he said that they turned from their idols to God. Listen, we need to be careful that we don't present the gospel as a mere add-on to a person's life because that's not what it is at all. Salvation isn't just another accessory that we add to our life. Salvation is a full life makeover. It is a total transformation of who we are from the inside out. And then let me share this with you. The third characteristic of Paul as a leader among the Ephesians, he was surrendered. That is, he was surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 22 again. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. 
I want you to note that word bound. I want you to think of handcuffs. Think of being arrested. Think of being a prisoner. I just happen to have a set of handcuffs tonight. Brother Sid, why don't you come up here just a minute? Take your coat off. It's hard to cuff somebody with a coat on. And do not resist. Don't even think about resisting. Or we're going to get on it right now. All right, turn around. All right. What are you doing with this sissy britches watch on? No, mine's better than this. Here, we need to take this off. Hold on a second. Take that off, will you? I don't want to mess it up. You can get another one at Walmart. Huh? So Paul said that he was bound. That means that he was under the constraint. He had been arrested, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. That meant that at that moment in his life, he couldn't just do what he wanted to do. He could not just go where he wanted to go. Sid may want to go sit down, but he's under constraint. And I didn't double lock those, so if you keep pulling, they're just going to get tighter. (laughs) So he can't go where he wants to go. He can't do what he wants to do. Why? Because he's bound. He's got to go where I want him to go. He's got to do what I want him to do. He has no other choice. He's bound. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul was saying. I was bound in the Spirit. I was arrested by the Spirit of God. He was in charge. I surrendered everything to him. Thank you. Oh, dude. Hold on, I've got a key, I really do. I've got my handcuff key. I had to hurry home and get those because I forgot them. Oh, here we go. Got it. Give Paula, give Sid a hand here. hard to unlock that's why I don't use these there you go very good that's what Paul meant when he said that I was bound in the spirit it meant that he was surrendered to the spirits leading again he had been arrested by the Holy Spirit and was now acting under divine restraint Paul was doing What he knew, listen, what he knew the Lord wanted him to do. According to his own words, 
Paul didn't know everything that awaited him in Jerusalem. He just knew that God was leading him there. He just knew that God was directing him there. And Paul surrendered himself to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, not having all of the answers, not knowing all of the details. But here's what he did know. He did know this. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's where I'm supposed to go. Wouldn't it be great if when God leads us by His Spirit in a certain direction, that those directions would come with a detailed map of every place that we would be in every situation that we would face? How many of you would be in favor of that? Now, there was just something you could download and it would be like MapQuest, and you could get a detailed, I mean, turn-by-turn turn set of directions. And it would mark on there, there's road work here, and there's a detour here. I'm telling you, there have been times in my life, even as a pastor, when I felt like God was leading and directing in a certain thing, and there were times when I thought, God, can I just have a little more information? Lord, can I, just, can I just have a little bit more detail? This is a bit vague. Sometimes we are so concerned about what lies ahead of us in four steps that we don't even take the first step. But church, understand this tonight. Most of the time, as it is, as it was in the life of the Apostle Paul, he didn't give him every detail. If you caught what I read, here's what Paul said. He said, I don't know about everything that lies ahead of me when I get to Jerusalem, but here's what I do know. It's not going to be easy. Look at the words that he used there. He said in, verse, in uh, verse 23, he said, I don't know everything, but here's what I do know, that when I get there, here's what's awaiting me, bonds and affliction. Again, sometimes we get so concerned. Well, Lord, what's, 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 what's going what's to happen to, on the fourth step? And, and, and we, we're so concerned about about later and, and in the future that we don't even take the first step. I don't know about how God leads in your life, but here's how he leads in my life. It's say, hey, listen, Bill, why don't you just take that step, and then I'll give you the next step. And I'll give you the step after that. And I'll give you the step after that. I look back on my life right here at Fellowship Baptist Church. Most of you know that I first got acquainted with this church in 1976 as a teenager. And I've been here ever since. I'm, I'm as bad as a stray dog. You just can't get rid of them. And that's because you kept feeding me. <laughs> I like it. But I've been here since 1976. And those gray heads in here tonight or no hairs here tonight, that were there in 1976? If I 
didn't see myself in the ministry, I'll guarantee you, you didn't see me in the ministry. I was a long-haired, loud-mouthed, obnoxious kid who didn't come from a Christian home, who was longing for love and affection and attention. And so I acted in ways that were obnoxious and got on people's nerves. But they gave me attention. Even if it was negative attention, it was still attention. And it was affection. And it was something that I never got at home. So as I look back on my life, that was a long time ago. I, I would have never never saw myself in the ministry. And I certainly would have never seen myself standing behind the pulpit of Fellowship Baptist Church in 2018 as your pastor. And some of you are going, yeah, I didn't quite see that either. Jail, maybe. My picture in a post office, probably. But never behind the pulpit of Fellowship Baptist Church. But I can stand here tonight, and I can look back, and I can see, looking back on it, I can see where God led me and guided me and directed me and put me right where he wanted to be when he wanted me to be there. Linda, I didn't see that back then. But looking back, it's really pretty clear how God made this happen and then God made that happen and then God put this person in my life and then God put Katie in my life and then God brought us back here and man, it's just so clear to me now. Look at verse 24. Paul said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Church, listen. Here's the key to being surrendered to the leading of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. It's this. It's understanding that it's not my life anyway. I gave my life to the Lord in 1976. I surrendered my life I let Jesus take the wheel long before that was a song. And I just let him steer. And I tried to stay out of the way. And really that's the key to being surrendered. In my case, it's me standing here and understanding tonight, this is not my ministry. It's the Lord's. This is not my church. 
It's the Lord's church. In your case, it's understanding that it's not your career. It's not your money. It's not your children. It's all God's. And he directs them as he will. I think one problem that we have in following the Lord's leading is that sometimes we're afraid it's going to lead us out of our comfort zone. Huh? But Lord, I can't do that. I can't function there. I'm comfortable here, and this is what I'm familiar with, and this is what I've always done, and this is where I want to stay. And sometimes God's leading leads us to a place that is not comfortable, to something we're not familiar with, to something that we've never lived before. Look at what Paul said. He said, the Spirit, again, he hasn't shown me everything. But what he has shown me is enough to know that my life is about to get very uncomfortable. And he talks about bonds and afflictions. But whether we're comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. And regardless of what we know or don't know, we would all do well to follow the leadership of the Spirit so that At the end of it all, there's more joy than sorrow. Amen? That being said, I want you to close your Bibles tonight. I want you to set them aside for a moment. For those that are guests with us tonight, um, this is going to be an historic evening at Fellowship Baptist Church. Over the course of the last couple of years, I have been giving much thought to my ministry future. And I've had a number of conversations with ministry friends, And of course, I have prayed a ton. And here's here's what I believe the Lord has shown me. That my tenure as your pastor is nearing an end. It's not going to end today. It's not going to end tomorrow. But I do believe that it will end within the next two years. That being the case, I have 
been in discussions with our deacons over the course of the last several weeks now. And I've presented to them a transition plan that they have approved unanimously, and they did that on August the 15th. That is, they approved my presenting the plan to you as a, as a church family. And following a vote of the church body, we will put that plan into action. And the plan is this. Upon a majority vote of this church, Brother Tyler will assume the role as co-pastor in view of a complete pastoral transition that will take place no later than August the 2nd of 2020. God has not only been directing me, but he has been directing Brother Tyler as well. For those that may not know who that is, he's currently our associate pastor. He led the music tonight. He's my son. And him and I have talked about this on and off for some time now. Obviously, in a more serious manner over the course of the last few months. Brother Tyler knows in his heart that this is where God wants him. And this is where God wants his family to spend the rest of their lives. And I believe that to be the case as well. And I'm going to let him tell you more about that next Wednesday night. As for now, upon, a, upon an affirmative vote of the fellowship family, which will take place next Wednesday, Brother Tyler will begin serving alongside me as the co-pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. And this is happening at his request. The, the concept of, of co-pastoring is happening at, at his request because he feels like it's important for you as a church to have the opportunity to view his life and ministry from the perspective of him being your pastor and not just a staff member. And there is a vast difference. As co-pastor, he will have increased pastoral responsibility as well as pastoral authority. But he understands tonight that he will not be the pastor. That means that he'll be attending all of the deacons and trustees meetings. It means that he'll have more oversight of the ministry staff. And will be learning the financial side 
of the ministry. As a co-pastor, he will take on more of the preaching responsibilities. And I'm going to be giving him opportunities to preach more sequentially as opposed to just preaching sporadically here and there when I'm gone. That means that he will be taking weeks at a time preaching through books of the Bible, um, preaching a series as the Lord leads him. And I've already expressed to him, I've expressed to our deacons that as a, a co-pastor, I expect his preaching to be more pastoral in nature. Meaning that I expect him to be addressing issues that normally he would, as a staff member, he would say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'll let the pastor handle that. I fully expect him. He will have the responsibility and the authority to address those areas where he feels like Fellowship Baptist Church needs to be addressed and where we need to be challenged. During this transition time, Lord willing, Katie and I will have a few prolonged periods of absence. I'm not talking weeks or months, I'm, I'm just talking weeks. And during those times, Brother Tyler, he will not call me, he will not text me, unless, of course, there is a, a dire emergency. At the most, he will send me a, an update via email of, of what went on during the course of the week. And I'm convinced that that will be a vital step in his preparation before assuming the pastorate for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it will allow you to view him as your pastor outside of my shadow. And number two, it will give him a realistic understanding of what it is to carry the full weight of this entire ministry. That is, he will come to understand the pressure of going home on a Sunday night knowing that Wednesday's coming. And that Sunday's coming, which means two full messages and a Bible study. And he'll go home that next Sunday night, and he'll be reminded, boom, Wednesday's coming again. And I've got to get ready for Wednesday, and I've got to get two messages for Sunday, and I've got to get my Bible study ready, and everybody out there is going to expect it to be a home run every time. It's a lot of pressure. And that's the fun part of the ministry. Preaching is a fun part. It's everything else that goes along with that. And he'll be able to experience that again out from under my shadow, not only as his father, but as his pastor. Now, let me be clear about something tonight. I don't want you to mistake this. It is not set in stone 
that Brother Tyler will be the next pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm not ramrodding this thing. After a couple of years, you may look at him and say, there ain't no way. Ain't happening. And you're going to have that opportunity at some point in the future to vote. Wednesday night, we're going to vote on whether or not to put this transition plan in action. But at some point in the future, as the Lord leads, and as you've had ample time to examine His life from a, from a pastoral perspective, you're going to have to vote again on whether or not you want Him to be your pastor. And that's going to be your call, not mine. And then let me say this, along with the transition that will take place between Brother Tyler and myself, there's also going to be a transition occurring between Katie and Jenny Lee. I think it goes unsaid that each of them are going to be an integral part of this transition process. I can't even begin to explain to you how vital Katie's role as a pastor's wife has meant in whatever ministry success I've enjoyed here as your pastor in these last 18 years. I can't even begin to explain to you how vital she has been. And the same will be true for Jenny in Brother Tyler's life. Jenny is more than capable of being just what her husband needs and just what this church needs in a pastor's wife. I mean, after all, she's gotten to observe both her mother in that role and her mother-in-law in that role both of them, I believe, have served as good examples in a number of ways. But that being said, Jenny will be Jenny. She'll not be Darlene, her mother, and she will not be Katie, her mother-in-law. Many years ago, as I began to approach the, the time of pastoring, I made that clear. My wife is not Mrs. Landis. My wife is Katie. And Mrs. Landis was a great example to Katie. But Katie had to be Katie. And I'm glad that this church gave her room to be who she is. And Jenny will need to be Jenny. And this church will need, if, if, if Brother Tyler eventually fills the role as pastor, then this church is going to need to give her room to be who God has created her to be. As for Katie and I's future, there are a number of things yet to be decided and probably if you were to ask Katie that's the most difficult thing in this transition 
There are a lot of things yet to be decided. But this one thing we both know is that we do not want to leave liberal, nor do we want to leave Fellowship Baptist Church. And I'm thankful that during our times of discussion that Brother Tyler has expressed that same desire. So, Lord willing, we'll be staying here. And we will be serving in whatever capacity the Lord allows. And I want you to listen to this. Because we're not retiring. We're transitioning. Again, there's a huge difference. We're we're transitioning. I do not believe tonight for a moment that the Lord is finished with us ministry-wise. And I'm looking forward to what opportunities He affords us in the future, both here and in other churches. Like the Apostle Paul, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I believe with my nearly 40 years of ministry experience and the fact that I have gotten to pastor a great church, that I can help a lot of young pastors and churches across this country if the Lord will permit me to do that. You say, but pastor, you travel a lot now and you preach in a lot of churches all over the country now, and I do, and I'm glad that I can do that as your pastor, but I can't do that a lot without it becoming a problem for this church. And then for those who may question a transition like this at my age, meaning I'm not that old, I'm 58, old is like 98, no comments over there, grasshopper. Let me just say this tonight. I am not being forced to do this by anyone. The deacons are not forcing me to do this. Brother Tyler is not forcing me to do this. My wife is not forcing me to do this. Here's what I can say to you tonight. The Lord is forcing me to do this. I don't know a lot, but I know this. I know it's right. I know that it's what God wants. I know that it's time for me, and I know that it's time for Brother Tyler. If that is your wish, somewhere down the line. I made a couple of purposeful statements earlier in the message tonight, and I said this. This is not my ministry. And this is not my church. And I mean that. Truthfully, let me just be honest with you tonight, the easiest thing that I could do 
is to stay and keep pastoring this church. I mean, after all, I have a steady paycheck. I get to serve with people who love me. And to be honest, there is a part of stepping out of the ministry, the security of pastoring, that is frightening. But I believe that he all, as he always has, that God will provide. Another reason that I'm at peace with this decision is because, and again, this is all contingent upon the will of the church, but I do believe tonight that God has raised up the next ministry leader of Fellowship Baptist Church in Brother Tyler. I think you'd agree with me tonight that he's a man of God. And that the touch of God is on his life. That's undeniable. Pastors all over this country recognize that. And the truth is, he could be preaching in another church every Sunday of the year. Because God has blessed him that way. You see, all you see of him is what you see on the platform and maybe what you see in the classroom on Sunday mornings. But I see more than that on a daily basis. And what I see tells me that God has raised him up for such a time as this. And then here's something else that's very important to me is that this church does not die with me. I was given a very strong church in many ways in May of 2000. Strong church. And I would like to think, and if this isn't true, please don't tell me after church. But I would like to think that over 18 years uh, as your pastor that Katie and I have done a little bit to help make this an even better place. Listen, Fellowship Baptist Church is alive and well in 2018. If you don't believe me, just make your way over here and you'll see we're having to create a third nursery. There are churches today who use their nurseries for storage rooms. I'm thankful that God's building a church here and that it's alive and well. And I want it to stay that way for many years to come. And honestly, I do not feel that would be the case should I extend my tenure here as your pastor. Now, if you allow me to be really, really transparent with you for a minute, I just don't have the vim, vigor, and vitality for the pastorate as I once did. Now, yeah, preacher, we get it. We know your oldest son died a few months ago, and that was a real gut punch. And yeah, it was. Now, I'm not making this decision 
because of that tragedy in our life. To say that the loss of TJ has not affected me would not be the truth. And I just now, honestly, I just now feel like I'm, I'm getting back in step in the pulpit and in message preparation. But I'm just telling you, and you, the reason I say that is because we've been talking about this for a couple of years. But the pressure, the, the, the mental and emotional grind of pastoring. And I know, I get it, we only work one day a week. I get that. but the mental and emotional grind of pastoring I think is like none other. Because it's not like I can just go home at 5 o'clock and shut everything off. You're on my heart. And your burdens are my burdens. And your cares are my cares. If I was just a boss, then I could go home and it, it, I, it, wouldn't, die. it wouldn't matter to me that, that, that you lost a child. It wouldn't matter to me that you had a wife that was dying of cancer. I'd just go home. You're an employee. I'm a boss. That's not the nature of the ministry. The nature of the ministry is this. I live with everything you live with in my heart. And it'll wear you down. It just, it just will. And I have preached in too many churches over the course of the years where it has been obvious that for whatever reason, the pastor has stayed too long. And that church is just in a steady, steady decline. And I do not want that to happen at 310 West Pancake. And finally tonight, I'm convinced that we're following a biblical pattern. This idea of churches being without a pastor for months and even years on end because a group of knucklehead men that serve on a pulpit committee can't come together in an agreement is ridiculous. Just ridiculous. A church without a pastor is like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. They are left exposed to all kinds of dangers. So, That's my heart. Now, I'm, I don't want to take a lot of time tonight because we do have guests with us, and I apologize for the nature of the service tonight. I do want to give you an opportunity to ask any questions that may have come up over the course of what I just shared with you, and we'll come back Wednesday night. Brother Tyler's going to preach and share a little bit of his heart with you on Wednesday night 
and then we will give you opportunity to ask any questions that come up between now and then. But please understand tonight, there, there's a lot about this transition that we don't know. There are a lot of things that need to be put in place. There are a lot of details that need to be worked out. And, and uh, so if I don't know the answer to your question because we've not come to that decision yet, then I'll just tell you I don't know. There will be a, a number of discussions ongoing over the course of the, the next year or so regarding a lot of, of the details um, about the transition. Brother Tyler and I will make ourselves available to you uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday should you want to visit with us privately or should you want to visit with us um, together. Um, we're willing to do that because we want any questions you have that we can't answer, we want to answer those. So real quick, if you have a question, great. If you don't, that's even greater. <laughs> Nearly 8 o'clock. Anybody real quick have a question tonight? Again, church, please understand. Just a minute, Brother Bob. Please understand that I'm not trying to rant. I'm not trying to dump Brother Tyler on you. If after a period of time you say, no, nah, he's not our guy, then you're going to have an opportunity to vote that way. Because I think that's right. But I do think also that you need to have this time of him serving in, in by my side as co-pastor to observe him from that perspective. I'm convinced that there are a majority of you here tonight that if we say, preach, I vote on it tonight. <laughs> I get that, but don't say that. Let's wait. I love Brother Tyler, not just because he's my son, but because he is a man of God. And um, I'm excited. Brother Bob. Brother Bob, I get my hearing aids on Thursday. And uh, serious, I do. And I will be able to hear you so now I ask your question. I appreciate that. I'm going to have a lot of free time, Brother Bob. We have a lot of, lot of lunches. Absolutely. Brother Bob's concern is whether or not you will be available to Katie and I. Um, like I said, we're not going anywhere. Um, we will be mindful that should Brother Tyler become your pastor, that he will be your pastor, and that Jenny Lee will be your pastor's wife. And we will make sure that those lines are drawn. And we will do our best not to cross those lines, because I will no longer be your pastor. 
and Katie will no longer be your pastor's wife. And so I guess depending upon the nature of whatever it is, that uh, we'll just try to use our discretion. Is that fair? Try to use our, our uh, discretion. Say, hey, I, we really think you need to talk to your pastor and pastor's wife. But hey, if you just want to take me out for lunch and shoot the breeze, boom! I'm there. I'm there. Amen. Somebody else real quick. Yes, ma'am. Don't make me cry. I taught Grasshopper everything he knows. <laughs> I was doing music when that boy was in diapers. But to answer your question, that I, I don't know. We have talked about that. Um, having done what he does and having brought the music ministry to where it was when he took over, um, I understand. I mean, I, I handed it over. Um, you just let me say this, that he's not going to give it up to somebody that he's not comfortable with, including his dad. Now, he still thinks, yeah, dad, you can still do that, but yeah, I don't know. We haven't talked about it. We haven't nailed that down, but I do know this, and we have talked about this, that he will do it until he's comfortable with somebody that's going to do it like he wants it done. Because, Gwen, we can't sacrifice. We just cannot sacrifice the music ministry here. He cannot do that. He cannot continue to do music forever. It will take a toll on him physically and so we will address that um, in time that's a great question all right anybody else tonight yes Sheila All right, we'll count it. Somebody else tonight. And if you would, I, because of the hour, just if you got a question, we want to hear it. Um, if not, then we'll have more time next Wednesday night. And you may need, you may have some questions that rise up between now and then. Anybody? Yes, sir, Brother Curtis. All right, can you hold it for next Wednesday then? Okay, hurry, make it quick, because in all seriousness, I want to get these people out of here.
Thank you, Lord Curtis. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amen. Thank you, Lord Curtis. All right, guys, you come. We're going to get ready for the offering tonight. And um, listen, we may do a lot of things. We may skip a lot of things, but the offering is not one of them. Real quick, let me uh, share just a couple things with you um, specific to ministry here. Kids for Christ, that's our Wednesday night children's ministry. And Student Impact, which is our high school student ministry, those will kick off Wednesday night, uh, September the 5th. So please be sure and remember that. And then our First Responders Sunday uh, with spouses and children. Right now we've got about 100 of our first responder community that will be here with us on September 9th. We're very excited about that. And uh, so be praying for that day if you would. And uh, then ladies save the date. Our heart to heart ladies ministry will start up again on September the 11th at 7 o'clock. And uh, so you don't want to miss that. Another season of heart to heart. The theme this year is armor up. And uh, so I know that you will want to be a part of that ministry again. Wednesday night, we'll come back together with a title we'll preach and uh, give you an opportunity for some more questions if you have them, and then we'll just go on from there, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, thank you for these good people. God, thank you for their hearts. Lord, I love them, and I know they love me. And God, we may not know everything about the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And our faith and our trust is in the Lord. So God, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, discernment, guidance, and faith. God bless the giving of your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for that. If you would, just plan to come back on Wednesday. Uh, if you have any questions, again, for me, Papa, he's calling your name.
He's just chilling. If you have any questions for me, be glad to answer those. Uh, shoot me a text or uh, come see me at the, at the office on Tuesday or Wednesday. I would love to visit with you as well as just share a little bit of my heart with you on Wednesday. God bless you. Y'all keep playing. You're dismissed.